Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Loudwire Podcast. This is Graham. This is Joe. And we've got Kisses Paul Stanley on the podcast. The star child. Kind of unbelievable, no joking. We actually have Paul Stanley. We actually sat in a room with Paul Stanley, gave him a mic, and he talked into it for this podcast. And answered our questions. No, pretty crazy, right? Chris Jericho's not the only one who can get him on the podcast. He's going to put you on the list just for saying that. But first... Obviously, it's been a, a very tough week for a lot of people. Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park passing away. Yeah, I haven't seen so much, mm, I, I guess, real sadness from uh, from somebody passing away in a long time. Even Chris Cornell. I mean, Chris Cornell was a real heartbreaker. And, and this uh, one we were still writing to, about Chris Cornell tributes when this happened and that yeah. that happened over a month ago and the outpouring for Chris Cornell is something like I haven't seen before but for some reason it just feels even different for Chester I can't really put my finger on what it is I don't know if it's just because he was 10 years younger than Cornell that's probably and, part of it and also because Lincoln Park just had universal appeal they had a universal appeal that you know Soundgarden kind of had maybe in the early 90s but yeah like everybody knows spoon man but yeah but lincoln park were just a like a worldwide phenomenon for so many years i mean the popularity pretty much surpassed any band of their era you know regardless of what you thought of them and their popularity was insane they had a diamond album with hybrid theory which that might be the only diamond album with screaming on it yeah that's a good point I mean, back in 2000, 2001, they were the band to listen to. I remember I was in like sixth or seventh grade when Hybrid Theory came out, and that's all I would listen to was that album on repeat and just play video games for (laughs) four or five hours and just nothing but that album. And like Chester was, you know, bullied and everything as a child in high school, wasn't very popular, wasn't one of the cool kids. And when Hybrid Theory came out, if you weren't listening to that album, you weren't one of the cool kids. So Chester Bennington made everyone the cool kid in high school just by virtue of being a Linkin Park fan. It was weird because Linkin Park was sort of the band that the cool kids listened to and then the weirdos listened to and then the nerds listened to. Like everybody kind of... Everybody listened to Linkin Park. Yeah, there wasn't really a uh, a, a social class high school divide when it came to Lincoln Park. It's just like everybody seemed to to listen to him and yeah, puberty some... and hybrid theory. That's Yeah. <laughs> for us for us there, you know, once life started getting complicated, there's Lincoln Park to be like, Yep. Yep. Things get go. complicated. What really disappoints me is just the ugliness that's come out of this from a lot of people online. You know, there's always going to be the internet trolls and the people who are searching for attention and try to get a reaction from people. But this one, it just seems uglier for some reason. We didn't really get this with Chris Cornell. Yeah, I I think it's because Linkin Park were a bit of an easy target for the early fans. Yeah. Kind of abandoned them by the time the later albums came out. And then, especially with what happened this year, I mean, we went on our own rant about Linkin Park's pop album. Sure. But we're just as dejected as any diehard Linkin Park fan here. Yeah. But to take somebody's life and, you know, also just because Linkin Park was so immensely popular at the same time, when you're that popular, you're going to get a lot of people trying to tear you down. And to see that continuing with his, his death. 
it really frustrates me. It really does affect me because my faith in humanity is way down. Way down. Could yeah. not be lower at this point. Like It's like it's all just, the greatness that the internet's done to bring people together and make you realize what's going on with other cultures and we're all the same person. We're all the same human race. And then at the same time, it's just brought this destructive, ugly chaos. I hate to see people online calling him a coward and calling him selfish because it just shows a fundamental lack of understanding when it comes to the subject of depression and the subject of, you know, whether it be anxiety or, or trauma or any sort of mental ailment, because let's not forget that early in his life, Chester Bennington suffered some trauma. You know, he had a rough upbringing. He had depression for his whole life. He struggled with substance abuse, you know, um, sexually abused. No, he, yeah, he was sexually abused. He was molested by an older male. Um, from what I've read, I guess they stopped pursuing it once Chester learned that his abuser was also a victim. See, that's the thing is this guy was a victim. He suffered some serious post-traumatic stress disorder from this. And people don't call soldiers cowards, you know, when they end up taking their own life from post-traumatic stress disorder. They don't call them cowards. They don't call them selfish. And fame and money and worldwide love and all that stuff, it doesn't erase the ailment of depression. Yeah, just because all these good things happen to you doesn't mean that those bad things no longer happened. No. You still have to deal with that. You know, all those things can definitely lead to a happier life and to a more structured life and a better foundation for you. More fulfilling. But, yeah, but saying that those things will cure clinical depression is like saying those things will cure diabetes. It's ridiculous. It's just not true. People who've never gone through depression, clinical depression, everyone knows what it's like to be sad. People don't know what depression feels like or what anxiety feels like. You know, that's why people are so afraid to talk about it because they, they're they afraid of the way that they're going to sound when they explain how they're feeling to people because it's just a lack of understanding. I was thinking about this not long after Chester passed away when we got the news just of how do you explain to people who don't have depression what it's like? I mean, imagine, you know, a lot of people's worst fear is spiders, right? So you can imagine a spider crawling onto your arm. And what do you feel in that moment? Panic, desperation. It's like, it's just that horrible feeling that comes up. And what do you do when you get that feeling? You swat the spider away. But the point is that you're not swatting away the spider to get rid of the spider. You're swatting away the spider to get rid of the way you feel when it crawls on your arm. Imagine if you swat away the spider and the feeling remains. You still have that terrible, terrible, horrid, dreadful, panicky feeling in your head. Or what if you look down and there is no spider, but you still feel that feeling? You know, the normal person would look down and go, oh, they'd feel relief because, oh, there's no spider there. I thought there was a spider. They feel that relief. But someone who's got a chemical imbalance or a panic disorder, depression, anxiety, they just don't have that same reaction. Think about the desperation you feel when you see there's a spider 
on you, the desperation that you feel to get it off you. And what do you do to get it off of you? You flick it off with your hand. Can you imagine any other situation in which someone is terrified of spiders? It's the worst nightmare that they would actually touch a spider other than to get it off them. That's the only, only way. It's that source of desperation and how horrible that feeling is that they will actually touch a spider. Now, if you will touch a spider to get that feeling out of your head, what else would you do to get that feeling out of your head? Because make no mistake, it feels like that. It comes in waves. It comes and goes. It's that level of terror and stress and confusion. So what else would you do to get rid of that feeling? You know, would you scream? Would you lash out at someone and hurt somebody? These are all things that people do to get rid of a horrible feeling. You know, somebody, you're so angry that you have to lash out at somebody. You're so sad that you have to cry. You're so scared that you have to scream. You know, so what else would you do to get rid of that feeling and your desperation? You know, would you turn to alcohol or drugs? You know, would you hurt yourself? The desperation. And then when none of that works... You have to keep finding other solutions. Exactly. And treatment for mental illness is still very archaic. It's still not very developed, and there's no definite answer for it. There are some medications that may work. Seeing a therapist may work. There are a lot of things that may work, but there are no definites. There's no guarantees. So when that desperation boils over, and you just can't handle that feeling anymore, and you feel like there are no answers, and you just can't live with it. You know, this is coming from someone myself who's dealt with depression and anxiety for 20 years and has just tried to avoid those really bad days. If you if you suffer from anything like that, your whole existence is based around trying to avoid those horrible, horrible moments. And if you can get around it, then you've succeeded, you know, and everybody sort of develops their own toolkit to get away from those feelings. You know, if you're starting to feel bad, if you feel that horrible feeling coming up, maybe you exercise or you see your friends or you talk to somebody. But those days can still chop your legs out from under you, coming out of nowhere. If you can relate with the spider analogy that I just gave you, maybe you can sort of understand the severity of what some people deal with on a very regular basis with their mental illness of just how horrible the feeling is. And just think about how long could you live with that horrible feeling if you couldn't swat it away? That's what I have to say about that. So on a lighter note, we've got Paul Stanley from Kiss, absolute legend, actually sat with us answered our questions. We talked about a lot of different things. We talked about the potential of a new Kiss album. The Floyd Mayweather Conor yeah. McGregor fight. That was a bit of a surprise. That was interesting. That was it, not planned. I Yeah, I didn't expect to actually... When you interview someone as big as Paul Stanley, you sort of... You expect it to be just question, answer, question, answer, and not so much discussion. Especially with the limited time that we had. And then when you find yourself just in an everyday discussion about the Floyd Mayweather 
Conor, Conor McGregor, McGregor fight. fight. That's kind of a cool situation, just talking just as two humans, you know, as if the the if as if you're not in the confines of an interview. So that was cool. So everyone, this is what happened when Paul Stanley sat down with us for the Loudwire podcast. It's time for you to listen and to sit down and shout it out loud. So we're sitting here with Paul Stanley, of course, of KISS. If you don't know that, don't know why you're listening. And um, now, Paul, it's been a little while since we've had a new album from KISS. Uh, Gene said he's written a couple songs, but he's hesitant to release the album because he thinks the market's a little poor. Um, Alice Cooper recently said that he wants to make new albums for fans. He doesn't care about the album sales anymore. Uh, Where do you stand on that? if we're going to do an album, it would be because we want to do an album, not because of sales. I, I think um, we're we're living in a time, obviously, now where albums don't sell what they once did. So you're either doing it because if it's a, uh, you either do it because it's a creative outlet and because it satisfies something in you, or not. Um, if you're doing it purely for sales, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. So if we do an album, it's only going to be because it feels right to do it and you know as time has uh, passed I find it becoming more and more enticing you know the idea of doing another album um, for me the only thing we have to make sure is that we don't do son of monster or son of sonic boom you know uh, no unless sequels really yeah unless we're in a different direction not not to go to the, the root of the elder but unless, again, if we're doing it for ourselves, then if people like it, that's great. But the only way to do an album for me at this point is to do something that I find intriguing. So I'm 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 kind of uh, I'm kind of more into it than I was before, only because um, once you set the parameters and and your expectations. So for me, it really just comes down to: is it going to be exciting creatively? Now, do you feel any pressure writing a new album? Because who knows, the new album could maybe be a, the final album that we get from Kiss, and this is going to be the last impression that people get. So do you feel any extra pressure when you're in the writing mode? You know, the greatest champs got knocked out towards the end. <laughs> so um, they're not remembered for that. They're remembered for their 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 history and for, for what they've done. So um, I remember going to see Muhammad Ali getting, you know, get uh, outpointed by... Um, uh, Leon Spinks. So um, Manny Pacquiao just lost uh, sure. a boxing match. So, so um, I feel no pressure. Um, the story's been written. It's it's as good as, as gold. If there's uh, 150 pages that tell the story of victory and a few that tell of stumbles, that's fine with me. Yeah, speaking of boxing, I'm kind of hoping that Floyd Mayweather gets knocked out by Conor McGregor. I want to see him demolish him. It probably won't happen. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think so either. <laughs> I, I, um, but wh- I, wouldn't that be a spectacle, though? Well, I think people are expecting more of a fight than they might get. I agree with you. You know, you, you you have to remember Floyd Mayweather is a a fighter who knows how to to punch and get away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of them going toe to toe, I think, is a fantasy. I, I think so. He's probably the greatest defensive boxer of all time. Totally. So Completely sometimes elusive. people are disappointed by his performance, but he's a technician. 
So the idea that they're going to go in and see who can knock the other out, I don't think that's that's in the cards. Although, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody winds up on the mat. But it's not sure. going to be, you know, it's not going to be because uh, they were battling it out toe to toe. It's going to be because of that that lucky punch or that that well planned punch. I don't think it's going to be Connor hitting the mat though. I don't see him knocking Connor down. Well, you know, we we, we saw Connor in a couple of fights where he. Uh, yeah, against Diaz. I mean, yeah. that was, he Diaz gave him a rough night. Yeah, Absolutely. so um, and he's never really been in the ring where feet stay planted on the ground. True. And you know, and it's purely a boxing performance. So it's it's um, one of these guys has done it his whole life, and the other one hasn't. So we'll see That's what happens. It, it it could be very exciting. I think the the maybe the media buildup in the press conferences is probably the most exciting that it's going to get. So I'm enjoying it now while I can. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you know, we're talking about the music industry and the, the the decline of record sales and stuff like that. And Kiss, no matter the state of the music industry, has always brought that spectacular live show where you pull no punches, if n- not to talk about boxing again. But has it been? Uh, more difficult at all to keep bringing that live show to the people with the you know the records not really funding it as much as they used to well i i think that there was a time where touring um spurred album sales and that's not the the case anymore so you stand on your own as a, a concert um act so people come to see us because they know what to expect as far as um you know whether whether it's more difficult i think years ago i reached a point where i realized that you can't necessarily have more you can only have different because hmm. um you can instead of going up you go sideways you know you 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 more isn't necessarily better you know um 150 bombs as opposed to 130 it doesn't really make that much difference so i think that what we bring as a band as far as the chemistry and always giving a a show that people are expecting or more than they expect that's all we can do Um, we really have reached a point now where any band with money can do a kiss show Hmm. and there's loads of bands out there doing kiss shows i've seen um, enough bands where i go gee that's familiar (laughs) and that's okay you can never be kissed though so you can you can buy the bombs and you can buy the lasers and you can buy the smoke and everything else but you can't be us so that that's something that we've got a um a hold on the marketplace yeah romstein is still pretty spectacular there, though. there's there. a lot of spectacular bands out there it, but they're not us and they don't no. do what we do um what we do is unique to us sure um you can have a lot of bands doing KISS shows, but the only thing missing is KISS. Sure. True. Now, speaking of something different, obviously you've kind of shot down uh, the rumors of Ace Freely rejoining the band. Would you rule out ever doing a one-off performance or select shows, bringing Ace back on stage? You've worked with them recently. Gene's been collaborating mm-hmm. with them. It seems like there's a little more friendly vibe in the air. I don't think it has anything to do with, with friendship. Mm-hmm. I would like to be friends with Ace forever. And although there may have been times where things have been a bit rough or touchy, um, I prefer and would love to to keep our friendship going based on all the great things we've done together. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to reunite or remarry or whatever it is you know you appreciate what you've done together and sometimes you should realize that it was a certain point in your life and it was a certain time and uh, it was right on many fronts whereas it's not the case now um, I couldn't be happier with the band as it is today yeah Tommy's been in the band for quite a while Tommy's been in a long time and before he was in the band he was still around the band so um, and Eric has been you know with us since well he played with me in 88 so um, I'm I'm happy to to do things with Ace it feels really good and it was it was really fun um, I think he appreciated it and I appreciated doing the, it and uh, afterwards when he wanted to do a video I was all for it. We had a great time. We got time to, to sit and talk. And, and uh, there's nothing that can take away what we've done together. Um, equally, there's nothing that can take away some of the stuff that's happened either. And they both, they both had their time and place. And mm -hmm. uh, would I help them out again? And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a way of trying to... Um, um, not a charitable way. No, not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, would I uh, contribute to something he was doing? Sure. But um, it doesn't fall into the KISS realm. For sure. Sure. So we heard uh, pretty recently that there's going to be a follow-up to Face the Music. So we're wondering, you know, what, what more is there to tell? Like, uh, what do you expect to give people with a follow-up to a memoir? Well, you know, for those that don't know it, I haven't died. Well, and, yes. <laughs> you know, and I wrote up until the point that I did. And also there's, there's loads that wasn't in there. And it's, um, you know, life goes on. There's um, only so many facets of yourself that you can show in those given pages. And um, it went over so so much greater than I, even I expected. You know, it's been translated into, I think, six languages, and people really felt that it hit a, a note or a chord, no pun intended, with them. So, you know, it wasn't uh, the fourth Kiss book, it was the first Paul book. So there's lots more, lots more, and, and maybe a little bit more diverse in, in its um, scope. Sir, is there anything that you really wanted to touch upon in the first book that you just didn't get a chance to? Not at all. I, I, I'm really, really, really pleased, you know, really, really happy with that book. And part of the reason I didn't jump in and do a second was because maybe not unlike doing a, another album, there's got to be a reason to do it. Just, just to do a follow-up, there's, there's, no, there's no reason unless there's something to accomplish, um, something to put forward, something to affect people. So... Um, I accomplished everything I wanted to with that book and, and uh, couldn't be more proud of it and more satisfied. But it's also the foundation for something to come after. Sure. Well, one thing we really wanted to talk about with you was South Park. Uh, them using the song Live to Win mm -hmm. in one oh, of their episodes, album. which was so funny and so well-placed. Uh, you know, we wanted to know... Uh, what was the process? Did they tell you that they wanted to use that song? Was totally. 
Yeah. Totally. It really it, <laughs> it came about very quickly and very quickly to my surprise because the album had barely been out. Yeah. But um, anything that can can be in South Park is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, whether you can't lose. Yeah. Whether you. Uh, That's why you, you become, win. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. whether you're going to be the brunt of uh, uh, of something or, uh, you, you know, everybody needs to to lighten up and be able to laugh at themselves and at other people and and uh, south park's done a great job of that so when you saw that episode air was, was there just a huge smile on your face of course <laughs> look you, you know, have a lot of text coming in you know, <laughs> you know when when you write songs the idea that something tangible comes of something intangible you're you're creating something from something that never was you're creating a song and then to have it uh played on the radio played in an application like south park it's all it's all awesome. My life's awesome. You know, I mean, <laughs> I can only say that so many times, but I really appreciate uh, all these these successes. Sounds like it. Great. And last question for you. Uh, of course, we wanted to get your uh, we wanted to get your opinion on the uh, the gene wanting to trademark the love sign. A lot of people thought it was the devil horns, but mm. it was actually American the American sign, sign language for love. Mm. Yes. Uh, you know, and that patent is no longer being pursued, but we wanted to get your opinion on that whole situation. Do you think it was maybe overblown? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, Gene elicits um, some very uh, strong reactions from people. Sure. And um, what he does, he does for the reasons that only he knows. So I can't really say... Um, that I had really any thought about it. it. It was really something that he wanted to pursue, and the reaction was, you know, how people felt about it. So I don't know why he pulled it, and I don't know why he started it. I, I really have no, I haven't asked him. Okay. Well, I think Fair he's enough. a smart business guy. Uh, of course, whenever these things happen, the media bites, and, you know, to keep yourself in the press, I suppose, is, you know, he's such a smart businessman that I could, I, I respect the calculated. hustle. I respect the hustle of keeping yourself uh, in the media. Well, Paul, we want to thank you so much for giving us your time today. My Appreciate pleasure. it so much. Absolutely. Loudwire, I wouldn't miss out on that. Oh, thanks. That's so thanks, kind Paul. of you. All right, Paul. Thank you. Have a great show tonight, Thanks man. so much. Thanks. So this one was recorded while we were at Chicago Open Air, and there was only a couple outlets that were actually allowed to interview anybody from KISS. There was two for Paul Stanley and two for Gene Simmons. Mm -hmm. So we were in the press tent. We all got wrangled up um, by people, you know, who are running Chicago Open Air. They've got all their credentialed passes and everything. So they walk us around the backstage area behind the venue where all the buses and everything are, and we go file in and then before we even get inside the building somebody stops us yeah kiss the security is insane it's the it's the fort knox of rock yes so we overcame the first hurdle going into the building there's security posted like what every 10 to 15 yeah, feet in this long you. long hallway everybody's stopping you asking what you're doing who you're with why you're there all that different stuff you've got to answer the same questions again and again even though they probably just heard you answer it to that guy 10 feet <laughs> <Yeah>. away, <laughs> away from him billboard china was there 
people from Billboard China, and they were walking backstage, and they had, they had a selfie stick. Yeah, they had a selfie video. thing. Yeah, taking video, and immediately when a security guard saw them just filming their walk into the backstage, like, turn off that video camera, no video, no video. Yeah, like, and we were told there there was strictly no video. We I think we're all assuming there was no video interview. Yeah, but I don't think there was others that were really planning on videoing our way to the back. Yeah, it was it was nuts. So he scared the crap out of Billboard China. <laughs> like, Poor guys. So, sorry, and they turned that thing off immediately. Uh, so then, finally, we were waiting outside of Paul Stanley's dressing area, which was veiled off. We went in, sat down. Uh, Beautiful a, room. It was a really nice room. Really nice. It smelled really nice. Wood. Like kind of like this wood divider. So if you're in an open room, if you need a like a little dressing spot that's just got that nice little divider for yes. you, no. Paul exactly was on the room. other side of the divider, and as we set up our equipment, we we gave the signal, "Okay, we're ready." Paul comes out, does the interview, and there were uh, star-shaped lamps everywhere as well. That was pretty interesting. I yeah. figured like that's definitely no accident. One thing when you always read his interviews or watch his interviews, he gives these really sharp, calculated answers that just seemed like they were premeditated, like he had the questions ahead of time and prepared his responses to give on camera. And to see that actually unfold as we were asking him, like when I asked him about if he feels any pressure for the new Kiss album, yeah, and he said immediately, oh, well, the greatest champs got knocked out at the end, but that's right, not what they're right. remembered for. Like As soon as he said that, I was just like, wow. Yeah, he, he strikes me as somebody who thinks of these potential interview questions way beforehand and how exactly he would like to answer them because the whole KISS machine is very well taken care of and very pre-planned and runs very smoothly. So I feel like Paul likes to conduct himself on that same level uh, in that the things that he says are well thought out beforehand and he wants to address whatever you bring up to him uh, properly. And yeah, it's kind of like he has his own agenda on how this information is going to get right. put out there. And that's very different from, I think, him and Gene. Because it seems like Gene kind of spouts off at the mouth a lot. And See, is, though, he is seems kinda... spontaneous, but that's got to be all very, very closely planned and calculated, well mapped out. I think Gene Simmons is so smart of a businessman that sometimes people mistake him for a fool. Sure, and that's what I said to Paul at the end of that interview, is that, you know, Kiss's way of staying in the press, I respect the hustle. <laughs> I respect the tactic. Well, Gene's of, always said there's no such thing as bad press. Yeah, oh yeah, and he treats it as such. And dude, I thought I was going to get a break from this Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor <laughs> nonsense. So, no. like, as you guys know, we were at Chicago Open Air, so we we're staying in an Airbnb. And then whenever we weren't at the festival, all Graham was watching was the four-day press coverage right. of Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather smack talking each other. This was recorded like, on day three yeah. of that press tour, by so the way. I had heard a lot of this completely unwillingly. <laughs> and I thought I was maybe going to get a 10 to 15 minute reprieve. Like, okay, we're talking to Paul Stanley. There's no way I'm going to wind up hearing anything about this fight. I ask a question about a Kiss album. Boom. Derailed. <laughs> oh, come on. It's so entertaining. Stupid. It was awesome. Stupid. It's I so love it. stupid. It's dumber than any of the monologues. 
in wrestling. Sorry, Chris Jericho. I, I think your bit's great. But, <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because I think he's going to so put me Conor on the McGregor list. So if Conor McGregor brought out a list and put Floyd Mayweather on his list, saying, Floyd Mayweather, you just made the list, you would dig the fight and the trash talking? Probably not. I just think the list thing is really funny because it, it means like nothing, but it means everything. I Only I Chris can pull bit. that off. Speaking cool. of Chris Jericho, he's hosting the Loudwire Music Awards, yeah. which we recently announced. So, so far, what you guys know is that we've got Hailstorm playing, we've got Body Count, we've got Star Set, and if you listen to our last podcast, you know who the hell Power Trip is. Yes. And we've only just begun. There's so many more surprises that lay in store for you, and we have more performers that we're actually going to announce pretty soon, too. And don't forget... Rob Halford is going to be there, and he's going to be performing as well. And it's a 1,500-person room. So you will never be closer to Tony Iommi, metal's living, breathing hand of doom. Yeah, how about that freaking trophy we've got? Uh, We have a trophy of Tony Iommi's hand doing the metal horns, not the Gene Simmons horns, the (laughs) real horns, with the hand that got the fingers chopped off. Yep. There's no more metal trophy. There's no better trophy than that in existence in the history of award shows, past, present, and future. Absolutely. He actually cast his hand for us, and we made a trophy out of it. And called and, it the Hand of Doom. Yes. And you can watch uh, a short making of the Hand of Doom trophy on our YouTube page. So check that out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Loudwire podcast on iTunes. Leave us five stars if you'd be so kind. And a nice comment. Go to loudwire.com for all your daily rock and metal news. Go to loudwireawards.com for all of your information on the Loudwire Music Awards ceremony. For sure. Uh, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can follow me, uh, Graham Wire, on Twitter. And you can follow me, Joe, at Ice Nerve Shatter on Instagram. I don't play that Twitter game. All right, everybody. I'm on thanks. There, but I don't do anything. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.